Chapter One, Part Two of Damien by Herman Hess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter One, Two Worlds, Part Two. I wondered if I should run away and never come back, or go and drown myself. But these thoughts were not clearly formulated. I sat crouched in the dark on the bottom step, and I surrendered myself to my misfortune. There Lena found me in tears as she came down with a basket to get wood. I begged her to say nothing on her return, and I went up. My father's hat and my mother's sunshade hung on the rack near the glass door. All these things reminded me of home and tenderness. My heart went out to them imploringly, and grateful for their existence, I felt like the prodigal son when he looked into his old homey room and sensed its familiar atmosphere. All this, the bright father and mother world, was mine no longer, and I was buried deeply and guiltily in the strange flood, ensnared in sinful adventures, beset by enemies and dangers, menaced by shame and terror. The hat and sunshade, the good old sandstone floor, the big picture over the hall cupboard, and the voice of my elder sister in the living room, all this was dearer and more precious to me than ever, but it was no longer consolation and secure possession. All of it was now a reproach. All this belonged to me no more. I could share no more in its cheerfulness and peace. I carried mud on my shoes that I could not wipe off on the mat. I brought shadows in with me, of which the home world had no knowledge. How many secrets had I already had? How many cares? But that was play, a mere nothing compared with what I was bringing in with me that day. Fate was overtaking me. Hands were stretched out after me, from which even my mother could not protect me, of which she was to be allowed no knowledge. It was all the same, whether my offense was thieving or a lie, had I not taken a false oath by God. My sin was not this or that. I had tendered my hand to the devil. Why did I follow him? Why had I obeyed Cromer more than ever I did my father? Why had I falsely invented the story of the theft? Why had I plumed myself on having committed a crime, as if it had been a deed of heroism? Now the devil had me by the hand, now the evil one was pursuing me. For a moment I felt no further dread of the morrow, but I had the terrible certainty that my way was leading me further and further downhill and into the darkness. I realized clearly that from my wrongdoing other wrongdoings must result, that the greetings and kisses I gave to my parents would be a lie, that a secret destiny I should have to conceal hung over me. For an instant, confidence and hope came to me like a lightning flash as I gazed at my father's hat. I would tell him everything, would accept his judgment and the punishment he might mete out. He would be my confidant and would save me. Confession was all that would be necessary. As I had made so many confessions before, a difficult, bitter hour, a serious, remorseful plea for forgiveness. How sweetly that sounded! How tempting that was! But nothing came of it. I knew that I should not do it. I knew that I had now a secret, that I was burdened with guilt for which I myself would have to bear the responsibility alone. 
perhaps i was at this very moment at the crossroads perhaps from this hour henceforth i should have to belong to the wicked forever share secrets with the bad depend on them obey them and become as one of themselves i had pretended to be a man and a hero now i had to take the consequences i was glad that my father as he entered found fault with my wet boots it diverted his attention from something worse and i allowed myself to suffer his reproach secretly thinking of the other that gave birth to a peculiar new feeling in me an evil cutting feeling like a barbed hook i felt superior to my father i felt for an instant's duration a certain scorn of his ignorance his scolding over the wet boots seemed to me petty if you only knew i thought and looked upon myself as a criminal who was being tried for having stolen a loaf of bread while he ought to confess to having committed murder it was an ugly and repugnant feeling yet strong and not without a certain charm and it chained me to my secret and my guilt more securely than anything else perhaps cromer had already gone to the police and given me away i thought and a storm is threatening to break over my head while here i am looked upon as a mere child this was the important and permanent element of the whole event up to this point of my narration it was the first cleft in the sacredness of parenthood it was the first split in the pillar on which my childhood had reposed and which every one must overthrow before he can attain to self-realization the inward fundamental basis of our destiny is built up from these events which no outsider observes such a split or cleft grows together again heals up and is forgotten but in the most secret chamber of the soul it continues to live and bleed i myself felt immediate terror in the presence of this new feeling i would have liked to embrace my father's feet there and then to beg his forgiveness but one cannot beg pardon for something fundamental and a child knows and feels that as well and as deeply as any adult i felt the need to think over the affair and to consider ways and means for the morrow but i did not get around to it my whole evening was taken up solely in accustoming myself to the changed atmosphere of our living-room clock and table bible and looking-glass bookcase and pictures seemed all to be saying good-bye to me with freezing heart i had to stand by and watch my world the good happy time of my life sever itself from me to be relegated to the past i was forced to realize that i was being held fast to new sucking roots in the darkness of the unfamiliar world outside for the first time i tasted death and death tasted bitter for it is birth with the terror and fear of a formidable renewal i was glad to be lying at last in bed but first i had passed through purgatory in the form of evening prayers and we had sung a hymn one of my favorite ones alas i did not join in and each note was gall and poison for me I did not join in the common prayer either when my father gave the blessing, and when he finished Be With Us All, I tore myself convulsively from the circle. The grace of God was with them all, but with me no longer. Cold and very tired, I went away. 
after i had lain a while in bed wrapped around in warmth and safety my troubled heart strayed back once again and fluttered uneasily in the past mother had wished me good night as she always did her step sounded yet in the room the light of her candle gleamed through the crack in the door now i thought now she will come back again she has felt my need she will give me a kiss and will ask in tones kind and full of promise what is the matter then i can weep the lump in my throat will melt away i will throw my arms about her and will tell her and everything will be all right i shall be saved and when the crack in the door had become dark again i still listened for a while and thought she must come she must then i came back to reality and looked my enemy in the face i saw him clearly he had one eye closed his mouth laughed uncouthly while i gazed at him and the inevitable gnawed at my heart he became bigger and more ugly and his wicked eye lit up devilishly he was close beside me until i dropped off to sleep but i did not dream of him nor of the day's events i dreamed instead that we were in a boat my parents my sisters and i lapped in peace and the brightness of a holiday i woke up in the middle of the night with the aftertaste of bliss i still saw the white summer dresses of my sisters glistening in the sun and then fell from my paradise back to reality and the enemy with the wicked eyes stood opposite me i looked ill when mother came in quickly in the morning and told me how late it was and wanted to know why i was still in bed and when she asked what was the matter with me i vomited but i seemed to have gained a point i rather liked to be somewhat ill and to be allowed to spend the morning in bed drinking chamomile tea to listen to mother clearing up in the next room and to hear lena outside in the corridor opening the door to the butcher to stay away from morning school was rather like a fairy story and the sun which played in the room was not the same you saw through the green curtains at school but today all this had lost its charm for me it had a false ring about it if i had died but i was only slightly ill as i had often been before and nothing was gained by that it prevented me from going to school but it did not protect me in any way from cromer who would be waiting for me in the market at eleven o'clock and mother's friendliness was this time without comfort it was burdensome and painful i soon pretended to be asleep again and thought the matter over but all to no purpose i had to be in the market at eleven o'clock for that reason i got up at ten and said that i was better as usual in such cases i was told that either i must go back to bed or go to school in the afternoon i said i would rather go to school i had formed a plan i dared not go to cromer without money i had to get possession of the little savings box which belonged to me there was not enough money in it far from enough i knew but it was still a little and something told me that a little was better than nothing for at least cromer had to be appeased i felt horrible as i crept in my socks into my mother's room and took my box from her writing table but it was not so horrible as the previous day's experience my heart beat so fast i nearly died and it was no better when i found at the first look down below on the stairs that the box was locked 
it was easy to break it open it was only necessary to cut through a thin plate of tin but the action caused me pain for only in doing this was i committing theft up to then i had only taken lumps of sugar and fruit on the sly now i had stolen something although it was my own money i realized i had taken a step nearer cromer and his world that i was slipping gradually downwards and i adopted an attitude of defiance the devil could run away with me if he liked there was no way out i anxiously counted the money it had sounded so much in the box now in my hand it was miserably little there were sixty-five fennigs i hid the box in the basement held the money in my closed fist and went out of the house with a feeling different from any with which i had ever left the portal before someone called me from above i thought but i went quickly on my way there was still plenty of time I sneaked by a roundabout way through the streets of a changed town, beneath clouds I had never seen before, by houses which seemed to spy on me, and people who suspected me. On the way, I recollected that one of my school friends had once found a thaler in the cattle market. I would have liked to pray to God to work a miracle and allow me to make such a treasure trove. But I had no longer the right to pray and even then the box would not be made whole again. Frank Cromer saw me in the distance. However, he came along very slowly and seemed not to be looking out for me. As he approached me, he beckoned me commandingly to follow. He passed on tranquilly, without once looking round, went down Straw Street and over the bridge, and stopped on the outskirts of the town in front of a new building. No one was working there. The walls stood bare, without doors or windows. Cromer looked round and then went through the doorway. I followed him. He stepped behind the wall, beckoned to me, and stretched out his hand. That makes sixty-five fennigs, he said, and looked at me. Yes, I said timidly. That's all I have. It's too little, I know, but it's all I haven't any more. I thought you were cleverer than that, he exclaimed, blaming me in what were almost mild terms. Between men of honor there must be honest dealing. I will not take anything from you except what is right. You know that. Take your fennigs back there. The other, you know who, doesn't try to beat me down. He pays. But I have absolutely nothing else. That was my money box. That's your affair, but I don't want to make you unhappy. You still owe me one mark, thirty-five fennigs. When can I have it? Oh, you'll soon have it, certainly, Cromer. I don't know yet. Perhaps tomorrow or the day after. I shall have some more. You understand that I can't tell my father, don't you? That's no concern of mine. I don't want to harm you. If I liked, I could get the money before noon, you see, and I'm poor. You wear nice clothes, and you get something better to eat for dinner than I do. But I won't say anything. I am willing to wait a few days. The day after tomorrow, in the afternoon, I will whistle for you. Then you will bring it along. You can recognize my whistle? He gave me a whistle that I had often heard before. Yes, I said. I know it. He went away as if I didn't belong to him. It had been only a transaction between us, nothing further. Even today, I believe, Cromer's whistle would terrify me if I heard it again suddenly. 
From then on I heard it often. It seemed I heard it continually and always. No place, no game, no work, no idea in which this whistle would not sound. I was dependent on it. It was now the messenger of my fate. On mild glowing autumn afternoons I was often in our little flower garden, which I loved dearly. A peculiar impulse made me take up, again, boyish games, which I had played formerly. I played, as if it were, that I was a boy who was younger than I was, and still good and free, innocent and secure. But in the middle of the game, always expected and yet always terribly disturbing and surprising, sounded Cromer's whistle, destroying the picture my imagination had painted. Then I had to go. I had to follow my tormentor to evil and ugly places, had to render an account, and let myself be dunned. The whole business may have lasted a few weeks, but it seemed to me like a year or an eternity. I seldom had money, a five or ten fenning piece stolen from the kitchen table when Lena left the market basket standing there. Each time I was blamed by Cromer and heaped with abuse, it was I who deceived him and kept back what was his due. It was I who robbed him and made him unhappy. Seldom in life has need so oppressed me. Seldom have I felt a greater helplessness, a greater dependence. I had filled up the savings box with toy money. No one made any inquiries. But that as well could be discovered any day. I was even more afraid of mother than of Cromer's harsh whistle, especially when she stepped up to me softly. Was she not going to ask me about the money box? As I presented myself to my evil genius several times without money, he began to torment and make use of me after a different fashion. I had to work for him. He had to see to various things for his father. I did that for him, or he made me do something more difficult hop on one leg for ten minutes, or fasten a scrap of paper onto the coat of a passer-by. Many nights these torments realized themselves in my dreams, and I wept and broke out in a cold sweat in my nightmare. For a time I was ill. I often vomited and felt cold, but at night I lay in a fever, bathed in perspiration. Mother felt that something was wrong and displayed much sympathy on my behalf, but this tortured me because I could not respond by confiding in her. One evening, after I had already gone to bed, she brought me a piece of chocolate. This action was a souvenir of former years when, if I had been good, I was often rewarded in this way before going off to sleep. Now she stood there and held the piece of chocolate out to me. This so pained me that I could do nothing but shake my head. She asked what was the matter with me and stroked my hair. I could only sob out, nothing, nothing, I won't have anything. She put the chocolate on my bed table and went away. When she wished subsequently to question me on the matter, I made as if I knew nothing about it. Once she brought the doctor to me, who examined me and prescribed cold ablutions in the morning. My state at that time was a sort of insanity, I was shy and lived in torment like a ghost in the midst of the well-ordered peace of our house. I had no part in others' lives and could seldom, even for as much as an hour, forget my miserable existence. In the presence of my father, who often took me to task in an irritated fashion, I was reserved and wrapped up in myself.
End of chapter 1 Two Worlds